to Something for the Turbo, the weekly podcast brought to you by Unfound, the global platform for the travel-loving cyclist. I'm very happy to be joined by two of Chris McNamara's colleagues. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, that was a good conversation we had around the British cycling scene and coaching. And what we're hoping to do today is to delve a little deeper into the science around coaching and performance. And also, we mentioned it briefly in the conversation with Chris around the lab that TrainSharp have, but some of the testing that they do there and what it means and how all athletes of all abilities can potentially use it to their advantage advantage in many different ways. So I've got Alex Welburn and Connor Murphy with me. Alex, do you want to kick things off by telling us a little bit about your background and from riding to the science side of things, how you ended up working for TrainSharp? Yeah, so I kind of, it all probably starts when I was about, I'd say like early teens, like 15, 16. I kind of just got into cycling really just through, um, ironically, the smoking ban came in. This wasn't me. This was my dad, actually. Um, And he kind of just put on a little bit of weight and decided, oh yeah, I'll, um, I'll get myself a bike you know try and lose a bit of weight and he kind of went into kind of like the local forest that we had when I grew up in the Midlands he just loved it raved about this massive high boardwalk how gnarly it was I mean it was about half a foot off the ground it wasn't technical at all but you know the excitement was there and I just got into the sport through riding with him started doing it a little bit more trying to ride twice at the weekend so Saturday and Sunday you know kind of felt most people kind of get into it really and then we started seeing a little bit on the competition side of things one of my first endurance races I did was like I think it's about 50 kilometers off-road around Grisdale in the Lake District and I got kind of hooked into the competition side of thing from there so I joined my local cycling club you started on the mountain mountain bike that was your background because I've seen more recently you've been getting some pretty good results on the road have you made that transition recently or yeah so I mean when I was kind of a junior into the racing side of things I'd always do a bit you know criterion racing I'd try to go to Belgium a little bit racing and some of the I think I did one or two rounds of the um, junior national series but it's only been more recently where I kind of stepped away from the elite mountain biking side of things and moved onto the road I just fancied kind of a bit of a a change really um, because I've been in the mountain biking for quite a few years now I just wanted to spice things up a little bit have a different style of racing have a new set of targets new problems to solve and new categories to move through really saying i i don't know if you caught i had a really fascinating chat with a former pro mountain biker and gravel racer yesterday in the states ryan stairs and he went the other way he went from road to mountain bike and then ended up in gravel so there's something i want to chat to you guys later on when we get into the science is just different engines for different people and what works i'll be really keen to sort of delve into how you found that transition but okay so so you obviously started off on the elite mountain biking side and then studied, what, what was your sort of academic background? So I studied um, sport and exercise science at Manchester Metropolitan University. So that was kind of a normal three-year course. I got to work with some great athletes throughout my time, kind of building up my experience with a variety of different sports. I kind of specialised into ultra-endurance for my dissertation. So I got to work with some of the British 24-hour guys. And kind of over my time at university, I managed to I think it's about three or four world champs jerseys, which is kind of a fantastic thing to work with such guys that were, you know, almost in, they were in full-time jobs as well working with them to get their goals and then from straight from my undergraduate moved down to sunny brighton to do my master's in applied sports physiology which is great fun and i've not not left the south since really there you go sunny south coast so mm. sports physiology for the layman what, what exactly is that break that down for me so to put it probably in the most so it's about understanding and finding a person's superpower and training them to be as best as they can in that superpower but kind of all understanding kind of all the physiological, biological processes, why things happen the way they do to understand that side of things. So it's kind of like biology side of it, but from a sporting performance point of view. So how it all relates to improving. That's fascinating. And everyone has a superpower or should we come on to that later? Everyone has a superpower that's best to them. And it's knowing what your superpower is. So it's always about focusing on yourself. Yeah, so it depends how, how uh, some people have stronger superpowers than others, I'm sure. And uh, how about you, Connor? What, what's your sort of writing background and academic background? Hello. Um, yeah, so mine is is somewhat similar to Alex, but um, Alex kind of in, in his little intro bit there failed to touch on the uh, the fact that he's ridden at World Cups and, and he's been right at the top level in, in cyclocross as well as a junior. So he's been very modest. But yeah, so similar to Alex, I started off on the mountain bike as a junior, just going along to a local cycling club for a ride with ride with some mates and stuff like that and then it's like 
come along for a race and then just racing through the disciplines so I've ridden cross track and mountain bike and, and time trials and at the moment the, the goals for this season were all mountain bike related with some time trial stuff sort of thrown in there as well and then in terms of sort of like academia similar to Alex got an undergraduate degree in sport and exercise science and then um, a master's in exercise physiology so yeah in, in terms of our sort of strengths we're both sort of paired paired relatively well physiology is slightly different right as a master's how does that differ uh, so in, in in terms of what in, in comparison to my exercise physiology masters in comparison to Alex's like sport and exercise physiology masters is that yeah I thought they were slightly different but is it a similar kind of context about finding what what's best with an individual and working to improve that to the best of their ability yeah, that's that's right. Um, but in sort of the, the the real the differences between mine and Alex's is was Alex's um, masters was a little bit more applied in terms of cycling, but mine was a little bit more theory based. Um, when you do a sort of like masters or, or that kind of level of education, you kind of get taught what like your lecturer's strengths and weaknesses are. Well, strengths are so they kind of take you down the the bits of um, education where their their most expertise is. And apologies for the very basic questions. I'm, I'm coming from a very low low starting point, but it's good to know. So obviously both complement each other very well. Both come through cycling as juniors. I'm sure that the clients that you have are, are a huge array all the way up to World Tour that we know of abilities. But it'd be really fascinating to go into the lab and what you're doing in the lab, the types of tests, but also for the whole spectrum of athletes that might be listening. Um, I know a lot of people come up through the junior ranks, but also I'm sure that you all coach a, a lot of riders that really get into the sport later on, probably once they're past their physiological peak in their sort of early 30s. Is, it, is that correct? Yeah. So, so tell us about the lab. What are you doing in there and what, what can everyone find out about themselves and how does it all work? So everyone comes in for a performance assessment. We kind of tend to use the word assessment rather than test because when you hear that word test, you feel like you're being graded, but really yeah. just hear about to find about what sort of rider, what sort of person you are. So it, it gives us a chance as well to meet the athlete. We get to see what they're like, what kind of gets them going on the bike. We learn more about their personality and how we can then tailor our recommendations from the testing to them as well. So it makes it a much more of a specific journey. But we kind of have okay. one core kind of set of testing that we'll do. So we'll do the meet and greet with the athlete, come in, we'll take some information, some background side of things, what they've done previously, roughly where they think their values are from their power meter if they've had one before. Because often we do get riders that have just started training and haven't had a power meter so it always gives us some baseline values we'll come in and do the normal kind of, we'll take body mass we'll do height we'll do some body fat percentages as well with the skin calipers we'll get, then do two main core tests so we'll do a lactate ramp test we'll do a vo2 max ramp test and then we'll yeah. do some we'll do some sprints at the end and that's kind of a quick summary of the core set of testing that we'll do with the athlete as well when we have some more juniors in we will often take them out on the road as well and do a hill assessment um so we can actually take so we can actually see them out on the bike as well so we kind of take the lab to the road really which is a good way to see how they pace a climb how they act on a climb how they stand out the saddle because often riders may when they get out the saddle they'll hesitate for a second and move back or do we actually see them constantly driving forwards and attacking so it gives us a full rounded picture of the athlete really so you say that you start off was it was it with the lactate threshold test yeah yeah, sorry, assessment. No, we're not not test. Yeah, what, no what, testing. <laughs> what does that look like? Because one of the things I'm quite keen to get past is I think that the there's probably an assumption that testing really is for elite riders or top performing riders. Whereas from speaking to Chris and yourselves offline, I think it's a useful tool just for people to find out a little bit more about themselves and their bodies and how they work. So quite keen to get over some of the elements that might be quite daunting about going in obviously you've got the meet and greet and then we do the general assessment so talk us through exactly what the the first test would be the lactal threshold test what happens what does that look like um, yeah so the the lactate the step test is a, is a graded exercise test typically we'll start for most riders we'll start that around 150 watts no 130 watts sorry and then we're going to go up by 30 watts every three minute stage throughout that test we're going to take blood lactate and then we're going to watch that um, value increase as we go through and then we're looking for specific markers in the blood typically it's going to be around two and four millimoles for the first lactate threshold and then your second lactate threshold and your second lactate threshold is more what people will more commonly know as like your ftp or your functional threshold power and then we're, we're trying to understand where 
you use different um, substrates or different types of yeah, like so carbohydrates and fats for for fuel. So as you go through the intensity, you're going to need to start to utilize more carbohydrates as as a fuel for that exercise. And the the main reason for that is that it can produce energy faster to to keep it nice and simple. And yeah, every every athlete is different. They're all going to have different different blood lactate values. They're all going to have different thresholds, but as as you look between like your novice riders and your, your elite athletes, it's it's still important to understand where those values are because you can start to look at where you're going to set their training zones and then use those as baseline values to start with and then use those to, to track performance over time and then sort of test the effectiveness of your training program, whether it is working, whether it's not working, all that sort of thing. Would that have any impact on, on people's diet as well in terms of things work specifically for them? Could you get out from a test like that? Yeah, so I think the the big the big one there is your sort of ultra endurance athletes tend to not produce well they don't it's not not produce any lactate they produce very little lactate so you might keep pushing them pushing them through the test but those values just might not creep up they just don't have those like metabolic pathways to produce high amounts of lactate you'll find with like your your shorter events like if you look on the track like your pursuit type riders they're going to be able to boost a lot of lactate because they need that energy pretty much all of the tests that we're doing in the lab are about energy so ultimately what we're trying to do is predict endurance performance the higher your lactate threshold the more energy that you can produce as a percentage of your your vo2 max which we'll we'll come on to in a second but yeah obviously every every athlete is different some athletes their blood lactate shoots right up really quickly some it doesn't you can sort of tell whether an athlete's fatigued or not whether they've had high carbohydrates in their diet or whether they haven't Um, obviously you need carbohydrate to produce lactate and if you don't have that then you you can't produce it so you can't produce that energy um, and so on so yeah it is uh it is very individual and there are a lot of factors that will will come into play yeah and i think sorry my question before was a little bit misleading i think that's kind of what i meant i what i think i was trying to say was are there different diet for different kinds of athletes given where their their thresholds are potentially given on what type of athlete there are there, there probably are right i suppose uh, someone who's an ultra endurance athlete may be able to eat quite differently compared to someone that's a more explosive crit racer yeah so at the end of the day f- f- food is fuel if you don't have the right fuel, you can't you can't produce those efforts. To do those hard efforts, you do need carbohydrates. So if you don't have that, you just can't do them. With your sort of ultra endurance athletes, they're a lot more reliant on their their fat stores. So I think the the numbers are something like the the fat you have stored in your body for uh, for energy, you have enough to run like five marathons back to back, something like that. I can't remember the exact um, value in kilojoules, but yeah, you, you've got a, a pretty much unlimited amount of energy. But in terms of Using carbohydrate, you've only got enough muscle glycogen to, to do about 90 minutes worth of exercise. So that's where you've got to think about your, your fueling for the different type of exercise and the intensity. Yeah, because some of the ultra endurance guys are using ketosis and yeah. not, you know, really out carbs completely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So just fats and your fats and your proteins. And then, so obviously, once once the athlete's done that, they have a bit of a rest today, and then they they get onto the VO two ramp test. Is that, is that right? Yeah, that's yeah, right. So, we, so yeah, um, on, once Alex. they've had once they've had a little bit of rest, we allow them to kind of just cool down, relax a little bit. We'll talk about through kind of the test results what they mean as we kind of go along. We'll then give them kind of a relatively short break, get them back on the turbo, spinning the legs on the trainer, and then. Yeah. Uh, get all, all the equipment set up and then we'll hit the ramp test. And how does that, I think most people know what a ramp test is like. For those that don't, talk us through talk us through it. So they'll start off around about 150 watts. We will go up 25 watts every minute, but we kind of make it a smooth, gradual increase because you won't really notice the 25 watts at the start. But when you're getting into, you know, the 400 plus, you'll notice when 25 watts get hit on, hit on to you. So it basically just ramps until failure. So the idea is you keep your cadence within a particular range, and um, whatever that athlete generally feels comfortable, because we try and make it specific to the individual, and okay. keep going until basically failure failure occurs. The way I tend to describe it to them is: imagine a climb that just gets steeper and steeper and steeper, and all of a sudden, kind of this wall just comes down in front of you. You just kind of got to really go for it for the last kind of. 30, 45 seconds, because obviously the power's always slowly, constantly ramping on you. So they are, it's a, it's a hard test. It's a test to exhaustion. But once you get into the groove of it, it's over quite quickly because there's only a couple of minutes of like quite high intense work because you're starting at 150 watts. So we typically yeah. will range it from eight to 12 minutes as kind of a, a window there where we want them to failure, failing. Otherwise, it ends up just being a bit too long. If they, you know they're a strong rider, we'll start them a bit higher, obviously because uh, we don't want them going for 20 minutes or so because they'll be fatigued before they get to that crucial point really yeah and that's um 
that's interesting. And I'm sure you probably see quite a, a huge difference between people trying to do ramp tests at home and then in a lab environment. I'm sure it's uh, you get different, quite different results. Yeah, it all comes down to the equipment, the protocols that you use, what your class is a success, what your class is a failure in terms of tests, at what point they failed. And obviously having someone shout at you allows you just to get that extra kind of couple of percent that, you know, if you're in your home trainer setup, you just wouldn't get in the laboratory. And obviously we're measuring VO2 as well. Um, so we get to assess that um, continuously as we go along as well. Okay, is that the mask on the face? Yeah, so that's that Darth Vader mask you'll often see riders with a kind of a blue strap and uh, yeah. red strap and blue mask. So that's measuring your expired VO2. And with the results from, from the ramp test and VO2 test, what, what can that tell you about an athlete? So those kind of three key physiological markers that we get from so we get your first lactate threshold and your second lactate threshold marker which kind of touched about on earlier and then we get your maximum aerobic power so we'll consider that as 100 so in that test it's your peak 60 second power so it's not to confuse it with you know your 60 second power it's your peak 60 second in that test because they'll be quite different and it allows us to see at what percentage those are with that athlete so you might have someone with quite a high threshold relative to the VO2 max, but the lower threshold is quite low. So that will need a different approach for a rider that might have quite a high first threshold, but quite a relatively low second threshold compared to the maximum aerobic power. So it gives us a good indication of what, one, what sort of rider they are right now and what sort of training they will require to kind of push everything up. Go further. And I think that's kind of my, my next question would be, you know, why I think obviously for elite riders, the, the answer is obvious, but with all this data that you then have, why why would someone come and do this, and or, or how can it benefit them? And and you know, do you do you find that riders maybe have one interpretation of how they think they are as an athlete, and actually that they maybe there are psychological barriers there that actually they were incorrect, and they might be better if they work on certain things. Yeah, I think as one thing as riders, we're often very good at working on our strengths and ignoring our weaknesses. And this is one of the things that this test kind of assessment, I shouldn't say the word test, I've always said no to that, <laughs> that it gives that full picture. So it helps us identify their strengths, helps us identify the weakness, but it gives you some evidence behind to why. So we kind of explain to the rider why this might be holding them back. It doesn't really matter what that rider's goals are. It could be anything. If they've got that desire and they want to improve and want to get better, this is probably one of the best investments that you can make in yourself alongside coaching to get the most out of it is that it helps and then it gives that purpose to why you're doing it because if you're just doing it off a basic test and you're not really quite sure what you're doing you can kind of get a bit misguided disheartened when things aren't quite working but this allows us to repeat the process and you can see yep this you know training implementation has has worked for you these have gone up this is what we wanted it to do this is what we'd expect to do um so they get to see that progress as well so it's totally tailored, really. It's it's totally tailored to not only your your zones, your, but you as a rider, your particular weaknesses. So it's like to liken it to like a suit. It's 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 a tailored suit as opposed to an off the rack. And you're just trying to get something that fits. That's probably not the best analogy, but that's kind of what what you're getting out of it, really. Yeah, what you're saying there is quite interesting. Sometimes me and Alex, like we train together in the in the lab, and obviously like we're working towards various different things, but we're often doing completely different training sessions at the same time because obviously we're trying to work towards towards different things, and we're we all kind of coach each other. In, in the office and at work, we we're all giving each other the, the sessions that we probably don't like. So the one I, I really don't like are like EPD-based sessions. So it's like a like some full gas effort, some sprints, and then into some steady state type efforts. And I think Alex is sort of effort like efforts he doesn't like are the longer ones. So I think he's doing like sixty minute efforts um, just before we all went, went into lockdown. So it's it's all it's all tailored to each individual. Yeah, and it gives it gives it context. It's one of the things we I think me and Connor both got drilled into at university was context. So applying it to the specific needs of that individual and this sort of assessment really it helps do that. Like you said, it's like tailor of that suit. It builds that full picture, um, which means yeah. everything's kind of got a purpose. And because it's done with us present, it allows us to know that athlete as well. So we can kind of talk about their goals and make it specific to them you know you know where do we need to go what do we need to do and what can we do and those three elements from that testing and with the results help us kind of bring this full package together for that athlete um, so they can go away with information that will get them faster you know if, if, if used correctly so, uh, also probably more realistic goals as well i think probably lots of athletes who get disappointed when they can't 
achieve something that firstly they might not be working in the right way or right methodology to achieve what they want to achieve or it might just not be possible or viable absolutely i mean one of the things riders often come with you know with power tests is yeah i can do this amount of power for x amount of time but ultimately a lot of people tend to get stuck with training for their power meter not training with their power meter because ultimately we're training towards goals with athletes we're training them to you know to win races not put out x amount of watts ultimately it's just a tool it helps yeah. people kind of step away from that okay this is why i'm doing it it's not about hitting pbs on every single sessions you know because training is ultimately about creating the most amount of adaptation for the least amount of fatigue it's that fatigue uh, yeah and that's one of the things that i'm sure you see for new athletes coming in if i asked chris this question actually what's what are the biggest mistakes and he sort of mentioned recovery but that, that's an interesting question i'd be keen to ask you both from a scientific perspective everyone talks about consistency of training is so important talk us through the the, the science of training six days a week and being consistent with it rather than sort of binge training or not getting that recovery and talk us through what's going on within the body and, and why that consistency builds a a deeper fitness training is an incredibly complex topic when you when you take it down to the like the scientific level and, and ultimately what you're trying to do is take it all the way down to the level of the cell in terms of like biochemistry and stuff but effectively your body is a machine and what you're trying to do is create overload and, and provide it with a stimulus so that at the cell level it then it then thinks okay right that session was hard i need i need to make a change to to make that easier the next time around it comes so whether that might be improved lactate buffering whether that might be improved mitochondrial density or capillary density all those sorts of things right down at the, the level of the cell and in quite complex biochemistry but effectively it's in it's improved endurance performance and if you do let's say you just do one 100 mile ride a week that's probably not going to do you many favors whereas if you you break that down and did a few two hour sessions a week and with Areas. time spent at, at lactate threshold or vo2 or in zone one or zone two whatever that might be you're always going to get those improvements with that consistency that you mentioned and talk us through the aspiring talent program that, that you guys are running as well what sort of ages are you, are you sort of identifying talent and what are the immediate signs that when you're testing them you think well hang on we might have a we might have a good one here or is it not as simple as that is it a case of okay this person potentially very talented if we work on x and y let's see how they react to that and then potentially they we've got something good on our hands yeah so the inspired talent program that we have is run by myself and john it's a program really designed as a full package so it kind of takes a few steps away from just the coaching as well so we'll have the athlete in, we'll get to know them, we'll get to know the parents as well. We'll kind of really get a sense of what makes them tick, what really drives them forward. So that's that's quite an early sign as well. Obviously, you can see the differences in how their parents interact with the kids. Are they Do they let them get on? Do they push them? Because that will all make lots of small, subtle differences as they kind of grow and develop. You know, normally we kind of start to take on the juniors, progress from there. Uh, we do have a youth package as well, which will help work more inclusively with the parents as well it kind of youth kind of age for that racing bracket and we really get to know them and it's kind of the mental support the coach isn't just you know it's not just about assessing the training going through the numbers it's about explaining the journey with them how it's going to happen key markers that we are looking for and in the lab that really then builds on that athlete coach relationship which is so important to have you know the athlete needs to have that trust within the coach, need to know what they are doing is specific to them. And in terms of numbers, we, we get a massive range. It's not just a case of a map of 400 watts. So your maximum aerobic power 400 watts, you will be pro. It's not quite as, it's just not as simple as that because talent is very unique. You're obviously going to need some good genetic factors, which always play. But a lot of about is then also your determination as a rider. Are you one that's aggressive? Do you throw yourself into races? Do you take every opportunity that you have? You know, we try and facilitate opportunities such as going to Belgium, networking with teams. So everyone is different and that requires a different approach. So that's kind of what the Inspire Talent Program is about. It's ultimately everything to get them to the journey of them achieving their dream really yeah it's a huge jigsaw puzzle isn't it and, and from a science perspective it, that's just one piece of it and you mentioned about the sort of upbringing and parents and motivation and type of individual they are you add all these things together it's, it's you suddenly realize it's quite hard you, to identify you know to pick the good ones right because you just don't know it might be late developers or something different factor to factor in yeah and well as kind of they progress or each you know we'll try and get them in for testing kind of two to three times a year so we'll monitor progress see what they're responding to and we 
with the race results, we'll see kind of how the races are going with any particular markers that needs working on. This is then where the coaching side of it comes into really quite deeply, whereas we engage in a lot of feedback Um, because it's one of the things is while there is so much numbers and data and we're such in a luxury in a sport where we can pretty much measure anything that we want to but we need to make bring it back down to that word context and make sure it's useful for that athlete yeah and actually you know is it going to help us make them go go faster ultimately and you know they feeling that you know towards the end of the race they're not feeling that they can go with the moves you know we'll start to go into the data a bit more and then try and devise kind of an implementation for the training program to help combat that and then wait for the response over the next couple of weeks in terms of their feedback so it's always a continuously evolving process it's not like a you know a plan and go and this is where the real value of a coach comes in you know you've got to be adaptable move you know moving with the times changing sessions around based on their kind of response over a block um see how they're feeling how they think it's going as well so it's a continuously kind of engaging process really and if we look at riders at the peak of their performance matthew van der Poel, in terms of the testing that you do or testing that one does and his diversity as an athlete it'd be fascinating to hear from from two scientists how, how does he do it <laughs> yeah, it's a good question i think I, I think we all wish we knew we knew the answer and we had the the golden ticket to understand why why van der Poel was so good but you don't have to look very far to to work it out like a lot of it is going to be based on his genetics and obviously he's worked hard i mean his dad was a, a top professional bike rider so is his granddad i think his uncle was a professional bike rider or at least was and i think his brother's a pro as well so they've obviously got some some genetics in there somewhere that are are pretty good for for endurance performance to be able to just switch from to, from a cross race to then go into a world cup mountain bike race to ride a big classic it'd be interesting to see what he's like in a, a full-on grand tour that'd be that'd be interesting to see um we haven't seen that but he's obviously a, a well i say he's a once in a, a generation bike rider but i suppose he's not because we've got you've got riders like egan Bernal and you've got remco at the moment um and there's riders like sagan who can just switch from from discipline to discipline like he obviously rode the the olympic mountain bike race obviously you punctured but um would have been interesting to see how he fared against the, the top mountain bikers so in terms of genetics they've obviously they obviously have got what it takes he's obviously got incredible diversity but it's, it's great to see more athletes cross discipline do you think we'll see more of that at the, the elite end as we go forward and does that pose interesting coaching and testing challenges for for people like yourselves yeah so i mean obviously it's great to see athletes switching over across you know, cross disciplines, racing different things. From a coaching point, it just means we've got to be a bit more adaptable because obviously the underpinning sport is aerobic. So there's some core principles that we'll always have to work on. It's just making more the specific nature of it, specific to what they're doing, whether it's mountain bike, cyclocross, time trialing. So it's not a challenge as such. It just makes things more more interesting as, you know, we've constantly got to adapt, evolve the training program for that athlete, which is really quite exciting. And as and as for all the sort of more um, aerobic disciplines, but for things like track, do, do you do for track races? Because that's a whole different ball game, isn't it? Yeah, we've dealt with um, a couple of track races, uh, more on the endurance side of things. So the kind of the core principles of aerobic side of things, but then you know they'll have they'll work on the track, you know, with the starts, um, gear choice selection. We'll look at their pacing as well and kind of see how they've been going through their pursuit times and things like that. And so it's always just making everything specific to the riders. Yeah. The other end of the spectrum from the uh, Emerging Talent Programme and, and Matthew Vanderpoel, what about riders for when they start to get a bit older, basically, past their peak uh, from an ageing perspective? From a, it's a bit test, like Chris. A bit like Chris or, <laughs> or even less elite athletes, just, you know, your average cyclist. What, from a testing perspective, what would you see as a, as a rider ages? And, and what can athletes think about and do and maybe, maybe change to help improve that? I mean, are there supplements that they can take? Are there different training that they can look at? What, let's start with the testing. What would, what would you see as, a, as an athlete ages on the testing side of things? So in, in terms of testing, the biggest thing you'll see, well, it's two TT actually, um, your VO2 max starts to decline. Um, yeah. so that, that top end bit, I think it's something like from the age of 30 for a sedentary individual, so somebody who's not training, um, yeah. it's going to drop by like 10% a year. If you're, if you're training and you are you are exercising and making use of that, I think you can half that. So it's going to be like um, half a percent a year that's going to decline by and there's just nothing you can do about that. But often what happens is you start to become more efficient. So I think the big the big pool of research in running was done on, on Paula Radcliffe. And she, as she, as she aged, her uh, VO2 max obviously started to decline, but she became a more efficient runner, so she actually got faster. 
Okay, but it's by no means over by the time you're 30, um, which is something to sort of be aware of. And then obviously, like you can use Chris as an example, and he, he won't mind this that much, but he'll tell anyone that the, the way he's racing now is slightly different to how he used to race. Um, it's yeah. that short, sharp, punchy stuff that he doesn't have much of anymore. But in terms of going for like your longer efforts, he's um, he's starting to improve those. So it's just just changing the way you're racing. And I think you have to think about training age as well and how long someone has actually been training for. So we get a, a, quite a lot of riders who come across to us sort of middle age, 40, 50 years old, but they've never been on a structured plan. They've never thought about their nutrition. They've never thought about their sleep. They've never tra- trained with a power meter. So um, it's by no means all over by by the time those sort of physiology um, markers start to deteriorate a little bit. So you can still work with the ageing athlete. There's hope for us all. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, a lot of the riders we have are in that kind of age bracket and are going faster than they've ever gone before. you just got to change the approach. You've got to change the way you think about your training, change, like as I said, the way you think about your sleep, your recovery, your nutrition, the whole the whole, the whole, whole picture, not just thinking, oh, okay, I'm going to go out and smash it for two hours, do that a few times a week and we'll, we'll be all right. So just got to be more specific, more objective, um, and then, yeah, you can improve. Yeah, and I wonder if that will change the, the, the disciplines as well. I mean, you look at the if we look at running as an example, you see a lot of mill distance or longer distance runners that, that will then, as they age, move to marathon. And I suppose it's a similar kind of concept. I wonder if we see more roadie as they hit their sort of late 30s, look at some of the longer gravel events like Dirty Kanza or, or sort of endurance mountain biking or it'd be quite fun to see if we see more of that happening on a mainstream level yeah definitely and i think that's you will tend to get that more often as well because there are you know isn't as big a decline in the aerobic energy system as there is the anaerobic side of things as well so obviously as you get older you will generally perform kind of a higher level of the aerobic side of things um so that's where you get the longer endurance rise you know your 12 hours your 24 hours you know your ram attempts whatever kind of ultra side it is generally you has a tendency to kind of feature the older athlete and by older I mean not in your kind of early early 20s late teens side of things uh, and what what else can you sort of tell people that might be listening to this that that are thinking either about using coaching or are skeptical about it or coming in for for testing or or exploring testing further what if someone's on the fence or just not 100% sure given the knowledge that you both have how would you persuade someone to, to consider it? As you see, I mean, we get often quite a few people on the phones, which kind of um and nah in, they've heard about coaching. And it's just the idea that it gives you something accountable to it. One of the things people like as well, it takes a lot of the stress from planning side of things out because people obviously like to be organized, like to get into a routine. And that's one of the things people really do realize that they quite enjoy. They're having that interaction as well. So it's someone to talk to, bounce ideas, because there's so much conflicting information out on the internet at the minute you know for a typical thing how do i improve my ftp you could spend hours and hours trawling through google through forums through everyone that's adding their kind of little bit of advice but it actually means you're getting you know real advice that's specific to you and it's always going to help you towards that and we're accountable to that rider as well not only are they accountable to their training we're account accountable for their performance improvements just to interject there alex very quickly that's an interesting point i think you're right i think most cyclists uh, are um, pretty afraid at trawling through uh, the internet, reading articles and stuff. As a sports scientist who actually knows what they're talking about, do you actually see quite a lot of misinformation and misguided information on the internet as well? For example, you know, FTP is certainly not the be-all and end-all as a, as a specific marker anyway, as the, as the sort of testing goes to show. But do you see a lot of misinformation out there that sometimes you think is misleading and potentially dangerous? Yeah, I mean, you get a lot of research papers where people don't actually have full access to them they'll read the abstract and assume that this protocol that they use is applicable for them and it brings me back to that word context you know it allows me and connor to go through the papers see what sort of protocols they use what they actually use to define certain things because a lot of variables get misused and interchange within each other so not 100% sure if you type in lactate threshold you will get loads of different variations through it you know a lot of us are practices we abide by the British Association of Sport and Exercise Science guidelines so everything is in line with the research in the, in the UK and so people might just think because this research gained you know 20% improvement on VO2 max power or sprint power they'll start implementing that into their training without looking at what they are really trying to achieve to their goals they kind of just want a quick fast easy session to get them stronger 
and often they won't use it in the right place or the right timings or kind of misinterpret what the research paper is actually saying. There's no such thing as shortcuts, right? And I think that's what often people are looking for when they're trawling on the internet, trying to find how, how to get fast immediately. Yeah, they're looking for that magic bullet. Which doesn't exist. Not not in the way that people think it does. No, fair enough. And we, we, we talk about sort of some of the things off the bike, obviously, the training is key and and you mentioned earlier sleep and general welfare and looking after oneself with diet as well that's obviously all part of the of the coaching piece do you from from a supplementation perspective do you recommend athletes taking various supplements and if so do you see any improvements with the testing that you do with those athletes taking supplements or does it depend on the particular rider and if so what 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 supplements are proven and interesting in your opinions? Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting question. And my opinion on supplements is that they are only supplements. If you think about it as a pyramid, like your your basic diet will be 95, 96, 97% of, um, of the whole picture. And the supplements are only the tiny last few percent. A lot of people flip that the other way around and take a lot of, and take a lot of supplements, use a lot of supplements instead of putting that focus into their diet. If you focus on getting in the right carbohydrates, getting in your right fruit and veg, you concentrate on getting, I don't know, two grams per two grams of protein per kilogram of body weight to to improve your recovery. You focus on all those things, and then you start to think about stuff like sleep. Those those are going to be the factors that have the biggest impact on your performance. If you were to come into the lab having had the right food at the right times and have, after having a good night's sleep, those are going to be the things that give you the best results, rather than coming in and say, "Oh, okay, I've had this." beetroot shot or I've had a, a coffee or whatever it might be, those are going to be the things that have the, the biggest impact. There are obviously your your carbohydrate and protein-based supplements, which are quite good. Obviously, there's significant imp- um, like performance improvements from caffeine as well. Um, but I think typically we tell people just to come in well-rested, um, not fatigued, and try to avoid having a coffee or a caffeine gel and all that sort of thing, because those things will in, in improve the performance for those tests. And we want, obviously, to to minimise the amount of variables which are different from test to test so that we can be sure that performance has changed. I think that's interesting. I think actually we've sort of stumbled on something here really and and, and it comes down to, to, to really the consistency of training and the accountability of using a coach and the fact that there are no shortcuts and I think I speak for probably lots of cyclists that are continuously looking for the shortcuts but you know, it is the the sleep and the eating well at the right times and being consistent with your training. That's really where you see the gains. And all the other stuff is either marketing or it's the, the, the tiny little percentages really in the, at the end of the day. Yeah, and a lot of people really, it's kind of where the marginal gains things come in. Or people focus on the marginal gain side of things rather than the big consistent gains that they can have. You know, yeah. it's like trying to take 1% of 10 or if you get the gains, it's then taking one percent of a hundred. Yeah, yes, it's, it's all it's all well and good talking about marginal gains at the elite level because those guys have put the building blocks in place for many many years. Then you can look at the icing on the top of the cake. But if you're just looking at icing with no cake underneath, it's it's uh, it doesn't really make much sense. But uh, I think everyone's guilty of doing it from time to time. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think it's uh, for, for the majority of people, it's just get those basics right. And once you've got those basics, you can start to look at them more more complicated things but without those basics you don't have that foundation and you're not going to go very far you might get some short-lived improvements but they won't last very long i think sleep's the interesting one for me because that that's something that's really come onto everyone's radar even more in the last few years hasn't it are you what where, what are your recommendations around sleep or what what new science around sleep have you guys seen in the last few years Sleep is one of like the, the most underestimated tools. If you look at all these things like your different types of training, your different nutrition, your sleep, they're all tools that you have available to you to to improve your performance and people don't think about their sleep. We get a lot of riders who are, are busy individuals but they just don't get any sleep. They get like four or five hours a night. It's just not enough. Um, no. the, the big thing is to, for most people is to try and get seven to nine hours, nine hours sleep a night. And then you can start to, if you really want to think about it, start to stop using your phone at a certain time, stop watching TV, um, yeah. make sure your room's nice and cool, make sure you've got the right pillows, all those sorts of things. And it does make a difference. If you've got an early morning session, for example, if you, if you haven't had a good night's sleep, you're probably not going to do it. And then you lose that consistency. So it's, it's one of those things. And, and napping in the afternoon is quite a good thing as well. If, if your work and life schedule allows it, a 20-minute nap, that's always a good thing to try and get. As a student, I did that quite a lot, but not so much now. 
Um, no, neither yeah. with two kids. But yeah, that's interesting. I've I've adopted the blue light glasses in the evening, and I do feel that I do sleep better with them. Actually, that's uh, been been worth looking at. And implementing little things into athletes' life, which they might not consider. I mean, it's all well and good of saying, yeah, don't look at your phone, don't look at TV. But you might then go, well, what can I do? It's like simple things can be talking to your other half. It can be reading a book. You know, something that interests you, and that'll kind of help get you into a nice kind of routine and it's all about building those routines so you can have that quality of sleep you know like yeah. i said it is it's sleep is so underrated you know it might be hard to go to sleep but obviously then in the morning you don't want to get up um and it's yeah. such a powerful tool to help you recover so you can hit the next session and it's all about that consistency day in day out it's not about you know having one really good session it's being consistently good every day yeah not binge training or exactly yeah trying to repeat it day in day out and i suppose that's one of the things you, i do you see five day a week athletes and what i mean by that is that if you're managing athletes that have got busy lives and work lives and i think people let let sleep and diet and things slip a little bit at the weekend it can be super disciplined during the week and that's another thing that that's that can make a big difference if you sort of move towards a, a seven day a week week yeah and it all depends on that person because obviously it's got to be fun and enjoyable as well so having a little bit of downtime at the weekend providing you don't go crazy it's it's fine and you might make slight adjustments into the training if you know but always try to make something that's it's manageable for athletes because they've got a life as well and they need to enjoy that and it's all about creating that enjoyment within the training as well because if it's so rigorous strict the likelihood that they're not going to adhere to it if they don't start to enjoy it they're not going to put 100 percent effort into it then everything starts to slide and go downhill so it's all about balance really and you know and everyone tries to search for that kind of optimum balance within individuals and and as athletes yourself as individuals do you, do you buy into meditation and mindfulness and things like that to help improve sort of the whole equilibrium of balancing everything out i think everyone's kind of different in that sense what they do to try and relax just kind of chill out and switch off a little bit you know personally i you know we've got the south downs here um i often go if it's not a kind of quite a pure recovery day i might do something you know some you know light stuff i might go out paddleboarding and then i'm for me you know i'm completely free you know out on the sea or kind of the estuaries and it's just about what allows you to kind of relax as an individual get yourself in the best place yeah and what thoughts on overtraining so if the people listen to this are thinking okay maybe i should look at engaging a coach or, or getting some tests done or the fact that i've been doing a sort of standard i, I don't know zwift program or, or train a row program maybe i i've got a bit stale with that and i need something a little bit more personalized or maybe i just feel that i'm overtraining. can you tell us a little bit more about what is overtraining? what are the t- telltale signs what should rest weeks look like and um yeah so in terms of overtraining, it's just doing too much um, and that, that training load is too much and you're just going to fatigue. The, the, the sort of symptoms of overtraining are being tired all the time, being moody, being groggy. Every time you get on the bike, you just have that, just that feeling of being tired and not have that sharpness. Within your training, you want to have, you want to build from week to week, but then you're going to build to a certain point and then back off and then keep building again and then back off and keep doing that. For a lot of our riders, it, it's not trying to get them to do enough training. It's trying to get them to stop doing too much. And uh, I think one of the biggest things at the moment that's not helping that for some riders is the weather. They just want to go out and ride their bike all the time. And you're you're then saying to that that type of rider, okay, hang on a minute. If you want to hit the quality sessions and hit those numbers in those sessions to create the right adaptations, you need to be at least somewhat fresh to do that. So if you go out and you do two six-hour rides at the weekend and then you've got a rest down on a Monday and then on a Tuesday you've got like a, a threshold-based session, you're probably not going to hit the right numbers to create adaptation to to improve your performance if you're tired and then there's obviously differences between sort of overtraining and overreaching and all those sorts of things which i think alex might alex might touch upon yeah i mean it's most people won't generally speaking overtrain it's kind of under recovery as part of a coach's job one thing we will start to look at is the change in feedback i think i kind of touched about it on earlier you know you might go from you know it felt like I didn't have a chain on my bike. Efforts were really good. Worked right to the top end of targets. I was consistent through, you know, where suddenly you start seeing, I felt a little bit sluggish. Um, Your legs just weren't there. The numbers kind of go down quite quickly, you know. So the third third effort is normally their worst. So lots of these little things, then you can start to kind of pick up on as a coach and go, okay, right, 
you can spot the signs relatively early if you you know this is where we try to encourage as much feedback as possible yeah Yeah. and you can go right okay we're gonna have a couple of days off we need to relax a little bit chill out put the bike away for a couple of days and then we'll ease you back in over the next few days um you know start to overtrain it starts to become more a medically related issue and that's like months and months and months of it so that might be you know the person that just thinks they want to go hard all the time so we don't tend to come across that too much we might have come across people that are plateaued and they just need a bit of recovery and kind of a different training approach will often kind of get those sorts of riders as well um you must have people that come to you that have basically dug themselves into a hole by overtraining, and and that's why they've reached out to come have a chat with yourselves and that must be sort yeah. of building them from from scratch almost they they forget kind of what feeling good feels like because they've got so yeah. used to training and being in this that fatigue state and you know we we meet the athletes get to know them a little bit more and you start to pick up on that and say yeah i've not really had much in the way of results and kind of not been feeling good not had you know feeling sharp in a race you start to hear you know those words like zippy or my legs weren't pinging you know the typical terminology that cyclists will often use yeah and you get a kind of an idea about them more often than not they've got previous data so we kind of do a kind of a historical review get to see everything see what they've been doing you can see kind of what the load lines are doing and as coach those are quite powerful tools and you know we can see actually yeah they've just try to train hard that you know they've been a rider that's focused on their you know training stress score the entire time and we go actually no let's move away from that as the focus because it's all about that again that context of the ride and working towards their goals so we give them slightly more purpose with the sessions rather than going i need to hit a t-score of 100 they go actually yeah. no what i need is a good warm-up three quality efforts yeah that's that's today's focus if you do those it doesn't matter because it's kind of what you see then you know the ctl performance management charts which you'll often get on performance programs people are like i said training for the numbers not training with them do you like those charts because they are quite they're quite misleading and and i know that an athlete needs to trust process but even still there's this nagging niggle in the back of your head isn't there so as a coach is it frustrating when you can see riders are overly focused by the amount of hours they're doing or to your point, their T score or that, you know, and you're like, no, 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 just let go of that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's quite hard because you see it going up and as we assume that as it's going up, we're improving. And this yeah. is where it's our job as coaches to educate them what it actually, actually means. So we actively encourage our riders to question what we're doing, ask why we're doing this, why are we doing that? Cause the more they're informed about it, the more they understand the process and why they're doing it. And that's kind of where it steps away from your kind of generic program that you might be able to pick up on, you know, other online training platforms like Swift Trainer Road or anything. And it yeah. gives you that education of why you're doing it, why those things are important for you. And it kind of moves that sense of I hit that session well, kind of a lot more internal. You know it felt good. You know you hit the right numbers that you needed to hit for you rather than going, you know, my mate can do x amount of watts or i need to hit this t-score it just it grounds that athlete a lot more and helps educate them certainly friends that that i ride with that it's 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 not comparing with anyone else everyone has that different engine to the point of the test you talked about in the first instance but it's hard not to compare and it's hard to let go of those those factors and i suppose the other one alex from a coaching perspective is adaptation weeks do you find that athletes sometimes struggle to do what you prescribe in terms of dialing it back a little bit you mentioned when the weather's good like this but just generally there's always this kind of desire to want to do more than what you're told to so are you constantly speaking to some of your coach athletes to say come on yeah yeah the the recovery one of the off often that we find for athletes is you know is get them out riding is absolutely fine but it's the recovery side of things and recovering adaptation you know we can think of recovery as more of a a day-to-day you know can you hit your next session well because you've slept well you know in terms of recovering we can think of adaptation more of the chronic aspect so more longer term so that's where these weeks come in and are really important and again it's that educating those athletes this is why it's important but we i try and give my goals within active recovery rides because people will still have you know they they'll have a power target for let's say zone one and they'll try and still work well to the top of it but we try and educate them in the sense well what are we trying to achieve here it's, you know it's just simply to spin the legs out it can be a bit of a mental release as well because you're so in tune with training constantly you still need to kind of have a little bit of riding in there but we don't want to create any more fatigue so i have to say well actually the challenge here is to keep it as easy as you can but let's aim for the lowest average heart rate 
So then it, yeah. it, it puts that focus back into that session. And once they've kind of got quite involved in the process, they've gone through a couple of training cycles, they actually look forward to those recovery weeks because they can see the benefit of them. And then it allows them in that final week, you know, where the fatigue is quite high. Go actually, yeah, I can still push on mentally because I know I've got this week coming where I can chill out and relax. I'm not going to feel guilty for not being on the bike because that's often a thing we feel. If we're not riding or pushing hard, we feel guilty as athletes. But as yeah, coaches, exactly. we go... No, it's okay. Yeah, exactly that. Trust the process, right? Trust in the process. And I just think it's because it feels that it almost sometimes, I think tra- proper training and for yourselves, both being athletes and having the scientific background, it obviously probably seems quite logical to you. But for other athletes, maybe who are sort of slightly down the, the sort of level of, of performance, it sometimes feels counterproductive in terms of what you feel you should be doing which is riding harder riding more doing more the whole time so it's 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 getting over that hurdle that actually you need to trust the process uh, it's not always about riding hard it's about riding at the right zones in the right time and i think wrapping this all around to the beginning you know i think for for riders that might be sort of cat three cat four even that they're coming in and, and doing the testing will help them trust that process a little bit more would you say that's right yeah absolutely when you agree connor yeah because you're always the point of the testing is to understand where you are as an athlete at the moment in that in that sort of snapshot in time so every time you're on the bike you're on there trying to achieve something whether that's a zone one ride or whether that's in zone three efforts or whatever but you said then like it's it must be obvious for you both as, as athletes and scientists as such to to know when you should be going hard and easy, but we we do fall into that trap sometimes, and this is where even even the coach, um, even the coach does need a coach and someone to tell them, okay, you should be backing off now. It's like sometimes, like I said earlier, we train together sometimes, and and sometimes we'll start the session and go, oh, do you know what? I'm not feeling good, or I'm not, I can't hit the numbers or whatever, and then you go out and say, okay, you've had a, a hard few weeks, so maybe you should have a week off or whatever. Um, and sometimes it does take someone else to tell you that, even if you know, you know what you should be doing, you should know when you're doing it, you understand the whole. The whole process, but sometimes it just just take someone to take that decision out of your hands and to, to say, okay, right, you're gonna have an easy week this week, and then push on next week or whatever it might be. Yeah, and like I said, it's often easy to give advice to others, but when you're looking at it inside yourself, so someone that's kind of thinking, well, I know what I need to do, I know about coaching, I know what sessions I need to do. Actually, they might not, and have and having someone to kind of tell them actually this is where we need to be going this is what we need to be doing can be the final thing to actually make them go okay yeah maybe i do need coaching and sometimes going you know i will kind of you know we'll we'll talk all about our training what we're doing and how we're feeling so we're almost coaching each other from that respect and it's great that me and connor can bounce ideas from research papers we have chris with his you know incredible experience of racing and it gives that full package you know because if we have a problem with an athlete you know we have a an issue that we need to sort in terms of, you know, or we've got this idea, this athlete's, you know, not quite hitting the numbers or they're going too much, we'll discuss as a team. It's so one of the things we pride ourselves on train sharp, you know, we all amidst this lockdown, once once we get back into the office, we all work together. You know, even me, me and Chris and Connor, we have daily meetings, you know, we have about a twenty minute call every single morning to discuss how things are going, how athletes are going. So it's a it's a collective team. Yeah. That's that's uh, it's quite refreshing to hear that sometimes that you guys fall into the the same traps as the rest of us. And you know, I think we've been chatting for about an hour hour now. And ultimately, I think the the key things that for me that have come out of this is, is really that there are a lot of athletes that probably fall into those traps. Consistency is key. Trusting the process is key. And really understanding the numbers and understanding yourself as an athlete and having the accountability with someone to do that can make a huge impact to your performance i think that's kind of where we're at with it really i think there's benefit to all riders of all abilities to get to know themselves better and it's interesting as well yeah it's great because we have such a variety of athletes with different kind of physiological markers different goals different ambitions different areas that they train in different locations in terms of you know working with riders in different countries and what they can actually do and how they're live. So it's all like one big puzzle. And as our jobs as a coach is to kind of look at every kind of aspect that we can do and help it all fit together for that person to try and make it, you know, stress-free, enjoyable, you know, so you literally turn on your head unit, you see the session that's doing there, you upload it, you get your feedback from your coach, you talk, talk about the block, you talk about what we've done, what we've achieved, what's gone well. And it all gives that kind of eco cycle of training and ultimately you getting stronger 
and you know as you start to get into the process you know and getting stronger you believe in that plan it's creating that trust so it can work yeah. for any type of athlete really tell us both where are you obviously you're missing a lot of racing this year and i'm sorry it's frustrating for most of us but what what are the what are the one what are the ones that have slipped away this year what were your racing ambitions this year and and how are you going to adapt your own program and plans for for the winter so i had a strong focus moving on to the road side of things so i wanted to kind of get a couple of top five and ideally a couple of wins at national b level and some good top 20s at, um national A's. and then i had a plan to do the uh, marathon mountain bike champs because uh, they're back on mainland uk this year and obviously with my swap going from short cross-country mountain biking to from an hour and a half to more like three four hour road race and i thought i'd be in a really good position for it and obviously my old home classic race of brighton big dog which have been second place for the last couple of years a solo for six hours I think Connor been Connor's got some really exciting goals as well. Yeah, so for me it was about getting my expert mountain bike license. My goals aren't quite as, as high level as, as Alex's, but yeah, it was um, all about getting my expert mountain bike license. I wanted to run a marathon as well. That was in there, and 19 minutes 10 was the target. But I think looking forward, it would probably be more like aiming for for na- the national cross champs because that's down south local to us. So that'll be. Um, be good fun to see how long I can hold out before be, before I get lapped by someone like Pitcock. But yeah, all good fun. No, you're too modest, Connor. I I spoke with with this Chris mentioned this last week that I'm sure you've got many athletes who are who are who are eyeing up cyclocross this year as they've lost their their summer road season. Is that the case? Tweaking training programs. Yeah, there's lots yeah. of tweaking go tweaking going on and. Some of the things, you know, with athletes, we're using this time as almost like a second winter, another opportunity to kind of get in building on that aerobic base, um, but in good weather. So trying to always spin a positive side on it, because ultimately a lot of athletes' goals, they, ha- they haven't changed. It's just the time frame in which it's going to happen in. You know, no one saw this coming and we try and control what we can control, you, you know, use it as a, a positive time to get stronger. Yeah, that's a really good point. I hadn't really thought about that. A good chance to look after yourself and build things up again. Yeah, and work on those weaknesses, you know, that we don't really like working on. You know, that's one of the big things of, you know, for me, moving from mountain biking to road, I've had to work a lot more like fatigue resistance, the long endurance based stuff. And with this weather, it's a perfect opportunity to work on that. You know, it's, you can do it in the winter, you know, and you have to, but it's so much nicer doing doing it in 20 degree sunshine around Sussex Lanes. Yeah, I bet. And talk about Sussex Lanes, where where are your favourite respective places in the world to ride? I mean, locally, it's got to be around Beachy Head with the views are fantastic or into the Ashdown Forest as well, which is a lovely place. But I, I do quite like Girona as well. You know, all the Alps, I, I could, my list could go on. I don't have one favourite. I'd like just riding everywhere. Yeah, exactly. How about you, Connor? Um, I think I'd have to say the South Downs Way. Obviously, we live, we live literally just off of South Downs Way, just, just up a, off, off a trail up from the South Downs Way. And then you've got sort of 60 miles, 50 miles either way, all the way up to Winchester, out to Eastbourne. Yeah. Trails everywhere, yeah. I think that's pretty good. A few pubs along the way, a few cafe, cafe stops, some, some coffee and some cake. So, yeah, I think the South Downs Way has got to be got to be up there my kind of riding look I, I want to thank you both very very much for, for joining us today i know that really as a as a topic of discussion it's there's so much to talk about and it's obviously quite scientific and technical so it's quite hard to wrap it up in in a little over an hour so apologies for my my questions probably weren't on point at times but i think what we have given is everyone a, a good general understanding of some of the things that are available to them and and what they should be considering. What we'll do is we'll put your respective email addresses into the show notes. If you've got any links you can give us, just in terms of interesting reading for people that might be interested in in coaching or the testing side of things and what they can can tell them, be it academic papers or anything you've done at TrainSharp, that would be fantastic. Yeah, I mean, if you follow, we'll put our um, mine and Connor's both Twitter links in there because we're quite active from an academic side of their following researchers, retweeting things. So you will often come across quite a few few things that we uh, will read on there because we'll like them to save so we can read later. So that'll be a good thing you can guys can do. Brilliant. Yeah, definitely. We'll put them in the show notes and we'll encourage anyone else to reach out. Is there anything else that I've missed? Probably there's probably thousands of things I've missed, but um, in terms of a, a sort of brief summary have we have i missed anything particular that you wanted to mention to people or have we sort of covered most things i I think i think yeah i think we've mentioned everything i think you know a couple of key things you know consistency is a key a coach is much more than just a training program 
you know, delivered in front of you. It's a buddy, it's someone to talk through, it's someone to kind of rationalize your ideas. And performance assessments isn't something to be afraid of. It can give you a lot of useful information. I think that kind of really quite summarizes what we've been talking about, really. Cool. And how about you, Connor? Yeah, and it's just, uh, it's literally from for the novice to the to the elite, really. It's for everyone. And even if you think you know what you're doing, well, you, you may well do, but you just need, like Alex says, someone to just rationalize what your, what your thoughts are, tell you when to go hard, when to go easy, take that stress of thinking about it out of the way, make you accountable. And just ultimately make you enjoy riding your bike more. That's at the at the basic level. It's all about enjoyment. That's what for most of us as amateur riders, it's just about enjoying it. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what it's all about. And I suppose I should probably put my money where my mouth is. And as a very much a novice, when lockdown is over, come down and visit you guys and sign myself up for a for a te- for an assessment, not a test. <laughs> and, uh, maybe we can get you back on and talk through the numbers if they're not too embarrassing, and maybe see how that relates to my training. And yeah could be an interesting topic absolutely we look forward to it excellent all right both of you stay well during lockdown keep enjoying the sunshine and riding outside i really very much appreciate your time and let's stay in touch and we'll speak soon all right fantastic thanks for having us thanks for listening please subscribe to the podcast and more importantly don't forget to download the unfound app and join cyclists from around the world on the hub we'll see you on there